Alrighty. This should be a good episode because I know every B2B marketer is either thinking about this topic right now, or working through this topic, or did it a few months ago and is already ahead of schedule. So we're going to be talking about how to move and shift away from leads to pipeline and revenue. This is something that I know Jason's super passionate about. I am as well, and we'll have quite a bit to share just about our own story of doing this at Metadata. So here we go. Demand Gen U is officially in session. Let's do it. So Jason, this is going to be an interesting episode only because it's almost going to be like story time in a sense that we'll talk about, you know, what uh, it was like when you first started at Metadata and how that's evolved over time because it's it's a gradual process and it's it's by no means something that happens overnight. Yeah. And, you know, I've uh, Metadata is actually I mean, I've been around the block a lot. Metadata is actually the first place I've worked where we are fully measuring ourselves on like, you know, at least pipeline, you know, if not revenue, at least pipeline, you know, even the large companies I've been at, it's always been leads and MQLs. And so, yeah, even going on this journey here, um, really the first time I've really done it too, wanting to do it for the longest time, but, um, but now we're, we're getting there. We're not all the way there yet, but yeah. Uh, and we could go on like, man, my soapbox on this is huge. We could make an hour and a half episode. <laughs> so you're going to have to keep me, you're gonna have to keep me on pace here. Uh, so the other thing that I will mention only because it's hilarious, you've got the business in the front party in the back look going on right now, whenever you do the side profile. So I love it. (laughs) Yeah. I'm not having the greatest hair day today. I'll admit it. Uh, (laughs) I tried to slick it up a little bit beforehand, but yeah, I'm uh, I'm, I'm flying flying as if I were literally flying right now. (laughs) Awesome. Well, let's get started here. And I think the best place to start is the... Uh, probably the way to not make this shift. And I think what oftentimes people confuse, you know, making the shift to pipeline and revenue with is just ungating content. Because if you go on your website and you swap out every single form that you have and ungate it, that creates a whole slew of other issues uh, that unless you are prepared to tackle, it's not going to get you anywhere closer to pipeline and revenue. Yeah, and they think that like, and the reason they think that is like, hey, I'm going to remove gates, which that's where I bring leads in from. So like, if I remove gates, I no longer have leads to hand off, and so now what do I got to do? Now what do I look at? Um, and so yeah, it poses a little bit of a of a challenge. So there's a lot of not there's a lot of things to not do, like you said, or not think about it in these ways as you're starting to move, you know, over to revenue. Um, like, and I think. That's not the only one, too, because the other one that I would call out is, you know, this is not just a marketing issue. You changing, you know, your forms and how you're measuring yourself is not just a problem that you solve within marketing. You need to be talking with your sales team. You need to be talking with RevOps. You need to be setting expectations with your leadership team. Like everyone needs to be involved in those conversations. And uh, we'll share quite a bit of how we've done that at Metadata, too. But this is not a marketing only problem and it's not something that you fix by yourself right exactly and you know it's also i think one more little point here before we get in it's also not measuring influenced pipeline so we're really not talking made up metric yeah and so (laughs) you know if you're going to go to if you're going to go to revenue and you're making your way to revenue don't even just bypass the influence. Like, don't get caught up with the influence. Let's just, you know, stay with sourced. Um, but yeah, that's really, I guess, don't do those things. Um, 
And there are some things to do, though. We'll get into that definitely a little bit later. Perfect. So I think what we'll start with first is maybe a little timeline of when you started at Metadata and what you walked into. And we'll use this kind of as story time throughout to show you how we've been doing this at Metadata. Yeah. So I really started helping out um, September 2019. And before then, there were no marketers. There was, I think we were paying somebody for like 20 hours a month of like marketing consultation. And they were, you know, trying to run a webinar, like a webinar a month and like getting some content out there. But we didn't have content. We didn't have a way to develop content. Um, and really our approach was, was lead. We were capturing leads at the time. That was really our only way in. And that was because at the time we had very low awareness. Um, like literally almost nobody knew about metadata. We had one sales rep, Logan, (laughs) who's still with us today. And, you know, he was basically doing outbounding. And so I think this is actually a pretty common scenario where when you're just starting and you have low awareness, you're not going to all of a sudden have a bunch of demo requests. And so, and a lot of times when you're young and early, you're sales led, you know, because it's like, you need that connection. You need to get in front of the people that the salesperson has had relationships with before they already have that trust, you know, or you've got other companies or vendors that you've worked with in the past and you're trying to sell to. And so when I first got here, it was mainly about just trying to build awareness, capturing leads, and then and then letting Logan try and go after those leads, um, not in a pitch slap way. So, you know, Logan's much better than that. But at least it gives us some people to start talking to because also we didn't have any marketers. So it wasn't like we could hook somebody in the first campaign and then keep them, you know what I mean, and then nurture them or anything else in marketing. And so it was definitely a little bit out of necessity. And I think that's really what it probably happens with a lot of, especially startups. Well, you're trying to keep your sales team fed at the end of the day. And it's, you know, they want at bats too. And they're chomping at the bit for any legit conversations that they can have. And again, they're not trying to pitch slap people, but I think they're a little overexcited at times. And they're probably reaching out to buyers who are not ready or looking to buy right now. So it's something that I've run into before. And I think everyone listening runs into as well. Yeah. You know, the way I think about it, it's like, those kinds of leads are like maybe 5% better than just a straight up cold outbound. You know what I mean? So it's like, they're just, they're 5% warmed up. You know what I mean? Cause they've seen your name. Ideally your content's good enough that you gated is good enough for them to kind of remember you and trust you a little bit. But that's all it really does. in, in my opinion, that 5%. And we'll have Logan here on the podcast. Uh, I don't know what episode it will be, but to this day, he's the only rep that I've been enjoyed being sold to by. So um, <laughs> he's the best. Yeah. Uh, all right. So, you know, you joined, uh, or you were doing uh, some side work for metadata, which in some ways I think was your not so full-time job uh, <laughs> at that <Yeah>. point <laughs> too. Um, but leading us up to what, like probably March, really, I guess the pandemic or so, yep. Um, yep. that's when you joined full-time and that's when kind of the next <clears throat> chapter in this story plays out. Yeah, exactly. So um, when I joined, we knew we were going to start our organic social game immediately when I joined. Cause I was looking for, when I was consulting on the side, I was still working full time at Workfront, So I couldn't really associate my personal brand with metadata at all. It would have looked weird. So, um, so when I first started full time, I was like, okay, that's, that's going to be one of the first things we do is start to use my personal LinkedIn brand, I guess, to start to generate some more interest. Um, but then also at the same, and then we're going to start to do like more webinars and more traditional type of things. You know what I mean? I would say, then the pandemic hit and 
to be safe, my budgets got slashed, um, but we didn't change the goals, you know? And so I still had these goals to drive. Classic. (laughs) (laughs) And so I was like, well, shit, what am I going to do? And so that's when we started to look into conversation ads and started to run those because I was like, well, budgets are cut. I need something inexpensive, but to drive demos. You know, I really need to get, I I want demos. Um, Because also at that time, our site was not in a place where it would be a positive steward of demos. You know what I mean? Like, um, and I could do it better with a conversation ad, to be honest. And so we started that and then the demos just started to ramp up. And so the first month it was like, oh, okay, great. Is this an anomaly? You know, then the second month was like, oh, it's still going up. And then talking to salespeople and the salespeople are stoked because like the meetings are good, you know? And so I'm waiting for some ball to drop where like, oh, this isn't where, oh, this was actually complete crap, but that never showed up, you know? And so it's like three months in, and then that's kind of when this time when you started, you know, like August time frame that year. And uh, it was like, well, it feels like it was five years ago in the best way possible. <laughs> uh. <laughs> and so it was like, well, wow, we have all these demos now coming in that are just, you know, they're coming right in for demos. We can start to think about different ways of doing stuff with all the other campaigns we do. And I know you and I, especially like in the interview process, everything we both wanted to make this the kind of marketing experience that we wanted to have as prospects, which is not gating content. It's, and it's building relationships and it's developing like really, really solid content. So, you know, I'll turn it over to you for a little bit to talk about like when you started, how, how did you make that happen? Yep. So what I wanted to do was I just wanted to see what content did we have on the site today or not today, but August of 2020 and in the probably four or five weeks afterwards, what were we gating? What type of content was it? How helpful was it? And just getting a better understanding of how many people are actually downloading that on a daily or weekly basis. And for us, we were still routing any demos, uh, qualified or not over to the sales team at that time. And I think what I started to realize after I looked into the HubSpot skeletons, uh, that we have, and I know where some still exist and we're working on cleaning is like the sales team wanted those at bats, but we were quickly getting to a point with the volume of the conversation ads that were coming in, plus whatever was coming through the website that there were almost too many demos. That's a great problem to have for, (laughs) for the reps, but also we don't want to create a bad experience for the people that are requesting demos and they're not hearing back from us. And then two, some of those demos were a little bit noisy. So for us, yeah, for sure, we didn't have as many sales reps as we had, you know, capacity for all of those demos. So it forced us to look at how can we tighten this up a little bit uh, in terms of how we qualify people and who we're handing off to the sales team. So it was part, you know, what content do we have on the site? But then more importantly, what's the, the process and how much capacity does our sales team have? Yeah. Yep. Um, yeah, and so then I think from that point, you know, you started to ungate some things, um, and then that's really when we started to build the strategy around content. You know, we're going to be content distribution. You know, and we started to really up our organic social game too. You know, we started to go out, connect with people in our ICP, share our content. You know, and really started that side. Well, yeah, but also what we did was we had, you know, uh, throughout the entire process, I think one of the most important things that you can do is be attached to the hip with your sales team and 
RevOps and your leadership team to have some of those conversations because they were very much involved in how we were defining the ICP. We all had agreement on the ICP, who we want to allow demos for, who we don't want to allow demos for. And again, it's a moving target. You should constantly be looking at your ICP over time, much like we are here and we'll talk about in a bit. Uh, but we wouldn't have gone through you know, moving from leads to MQLs to really where we're at now, demos and meetings booked and opportunities, uh, unless you have those conversations with your sales team. So it was very much a, uh, I'd say an upfront kind of uh, agreement and decision with that group. And then we're constantly meeting with them, I would say on a weekly basis, just to see what needs to change as far as the targeting, the caliber of the people coming in, the quality of those conversations, you name it. Yeah. And, you know, the unspoken word in that is there has to be trust between those departments and at least the leaders so that because there's still a handoff point, right, to sales, even if it's the demo request, you know, that's still a handoff point. And both sides have to feel strongly that the other side is doing everything they can the best they can. You know what I mean? Like give them the benefit of the doubt, really. Um, but I would say interrogate that benefit of the doubt, too. You know, like really make sure that they're doing, you know, like you want to because you want to be clear. It's, about con like, it's constructive. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Um, but you need to get to that point where you're both comfortable that what the other team is doing is like really, really solid and what you want, because then if that's the table stakes, then if like RVP of sales, Clay, if he tells me like, oh, I just don't want to target these people anymore. This is why, what's happening. I can trust that he's thought it through and he's not just like complaining. I mean, I'll do a little bit of analysis and I push back sometimes too. I'm like, well, what about this? Have you thought about this? And you know, then we end up in the middle somewhere, but, um, that trust you can't, uh, you got to have that first. Well, and I think a lot of that uh, is supported by us having the same shared goals as our sales team. Yep. And if you, if marketing has their own goals and your sales team has their own goals and most likely they're different goals, like there should never be a world where marketing celebrating because they hit their goals and the sales team is suffering because they didn't meet their goals. Like that's not the world that we ever want to live in. And that's not the world that we'd recommend anyone listening should live in either. Yeah, I would have a hard time taking a bonus if the sales team didn't meet their numbers. Because then it just feels, yeah, you're right. It feels weird. It's, um, well, yeah, and that's how we set it up a lot of times, you know, as marketing teams and sales, sales teams. We set that up with that handoff of leads when marketing is gold on leads and then sales is gold on the revenue. We're just, we're setting it up by default to be a, a contention point you know, and to not work together really, and to complain about what each side is doing. And so getting to that shared goal um, and looking, and really thinking of it that way too. It's like, we share this goal of revenue. We, we have this net new revenue goal to hit, you, you know, with you and sales, marketing and sales. And then it's like, okay, what's the best and most efficient way to get there between the, the resources that we have? And it can even be like, we need more outbounding. And then we, you know, or, hey, we need, we need inbound to do this a little differently. And then we need to up our outbound or, Maybe, hey, we've been going to 70, 30, maybe it's 40, 60 because outbound is actually richer in these areas, you know, so it's really getting to that point where what's the right, what's the most efficient, like the efficient frontier of delivering that amount of revenue with the sales and marketing resources you have. Yeah, and I think the secret to a lot of that is the demand model that we use and we'll link to in the episode here. But for those that haven't come across this before, uh, we're giving it away so you can use it. Uh, to your own uh, advantage because it really serves as our North Star. 
across sales and marketing, we get agreement on the assumptions that we're using and the conversion rates that we're using, the ASP that we're using, and really the contribution from the marketing team, how much is marketing going to source and how much is sales going to source. And by looking at that continuously, you know, there are times where we look at it, I'd say, <laughs> Uh, weekly, uh, definitely monthly, and then for sure getting sign off on it at the start of the quarter. Like if we didn't have that, I don't think sales or marketing would have the confidence that one, we have the right plan in place, but two, these are the same goals because this is what we're working towards. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't really have much to add to that, but it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's critical. (laughs) So let's talk about measurement too, because I think one of the things that is most important for all of this is you know, if you're not measuring leads, then what are you measuring? So how did you start to put, you know, the new KPIs, uh, in play for marketing at metadata before I joined? Yeah. So when you're capturing leads, you get this benefit of now knowing who that person is and oftentimes even connecting to their cookie, you know, like on their website. So you can really see like what this person is now doing, you know? Um, and you know how they're progressing through whatever funnel you have, you know, maybe you got them on a piece of content and now they registered for a webinar and now they came to your event or, so you have this nice progression and you can see, and you can optimize in between each of those stages, um, what to do and what to do next. When you stop capturing leads or stop gating your content, you miss out on that a little bit. And so then what becomes more important is your ability to look at well, what are people doing generally on the website when they come from different campaigns, different tactics? And you start to measure things like content consumption. You know, where do they go next? Um, Because if they just land on your site, that's, again, 5% of what you need to have happen after that. Um, I guess it's the 595 rule. Um, But um, I'm not familiar with that rule. That might be the rule. We're just making it up on the fly here. (laughs) Um, And... You want to see like, okay, are they scrolling? Are they going to another piece of content? What is that piece of content? Are they going to your pricing page afterwards? Are they starting a demo request? You know, are they clicking the like, get a demo button? And that's a leading indicator, even if they don't go all the way through with that process. And so we start looking at things, return visit rate, you know, um, we start looking at things to see is the site doing what we want it to do until they get to that point where they're requesting a demo. And then when you're looking at the demo request from the website, you can also look at, are these first time visitors? Are these returning visitors? And then you also start to get another picture, like piece of that puzzle uh, filled in as well as like, okay, if it's new, then what are the campaigns that are driving that they just are automatically ready to go? If it's not, then you start to understand what content you know is leading to that. You can start to make those those paths in Google Analytics or something like that. Yeah, because I think setting up your systems to be able to measure you know marketing sourced opportunities, pipeline, and revenue. To be honest, that's kind of the easy part. The difficult part is those are all lagging indicators. So, what right. should you be looking at as leading indicators to let you know that you are on the right path and that you're getting you know not just traffic, but engagement and really good behavior from people that ideally would result in opportunities being created. So I would be lying if we said we have it totally figured out here. I think it's it's manual for us, but it's something that we're working on because you need to be able to show those leading indicators before you're you know, relying yeah. on how many ops you're going to be generating. Yeah, especially if you're going to make a big shift in strategy or something, you don't want to wait 
three or six months, you know, before you have the answer of whether something worked or not. And so, yeah, we use leading oh, that would indicators. never fly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we use Trust leading... us. I promise. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And so, yeah, we use leading indicators that are more of those vanity type metrics, you know, to understand, like, are we getting there? But we can because we have our demand model. So we know historically, if we do this up here, this conversion rate leads to this many of these conversion rate leads to this many of these. So we're looking at um, demo requests, of course, and we're actually looking at the source. So we also know now that like a gift card demo uh, versus a non-gift card demo, you know, the non-gift card is going to convert to revenue at like 5x that of a gift card. So we also look at like the context around the demo request. Um, then the next stage for us is getting a meeting booked. And so there's a drop-off between the demo request and the meeting booked. We're looking at that drop-off. Is it better, worse? Oh, actually, and even in the very top, qualified versus unqualified leads. So even though we target and we qualify people in questions, somehow some still sneak through and our SDR team actually pulls those out. So we actually want to look at which one of those demo requests actually got unqualified. So, um, and then meetings booked, like I mentioned, and then opportunities. So those are the progression steps um, that we look at. And we are pretty consistent with our conversion rates between those. And so we can be pretty consistent or like pretty confident that if these are happening up here, the revenue will result. And we've got all of that in a Salesforce dashboard as well. So we know when to kind of go all hands on deck if some of those leading indicators are behind, uh, because you may be fine with opportunities and, and pipeline in a given quarter. Um, but if you're behind on the leading indicators in the, the current quarter, then there's also a decent chance that you could be behind on the lagging indicators in the following quarter. So we're constantly looking at the leading and lagging indicators just to see where we need to focus most of our time. Yep. Yep. So I think one of the questions that I want to ask uh, that we got from LinkedIn is, are there small changes that you can make before you make this big shift? Because it, it is a huge shift and it shouldn't happen overnight. So how do you kind of crawl, walk, run, if you will, before you make a big shift like this? Yeah. And the bigger, the bigger org you are, the more important this is. And this is why I'll say this real quick. As, so if you're doing leads and your company's growing with leads, guess what's happening? the sales team is getting bloated, right? Because they, be, they have to have bodies there to take your high funnel leads and essentially do your marketing work for you. You know what I mean? To get them to like an MQL, really. I mean, that's really the way. They're marketers, really. And so over time, that team gets so bloated and so big, you got 100 reps all of a sudden. And now in marketing, you're saying, okay, great. Let's stop doing leads. Well, think about that, right? So all of a sudden, you're now proposing that we lay off a third or a half of the sales force. Really, I mean, this is actually, a, I've lived through this exact scenario. And so this is why it's important to, well, A, if you can shift this earlier, you know what I mean? Away from leads earlier in your progression, that's better. Just know if you wait, the longer you wait, the harder it's going to be to basically get away from it. And this is the main reason why because the teams have been built around this process. So that's why when you're thinking about doing this, especially if it's a bigger place, it has to be through a small test. You're like just almost like with a lot of other things we do, you have to, but it has to be a very segmented experience. You're, right? steal, so you're you, stealing the next question, but I'm gonna let you keep going. Oh, I am? Oh God. Here. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> keep going. I thought, okay. Um, 
so because when you when you get onto that side, you know, you want to have your set of reps over there, you set of campaigns all targeted, you know, and you want to make sure the accounts that are in those campaigns don't ever see like a gated content or like they stay in that, that experience. And so then you can prove it out with like maybe 20, 10, 20% of your resources that, Hey, if we do it this way, cause that's gotta be the longer term test. You're like, Oh yeah. Okay. Leads aren't coming in. We're giving them content. Okay. Lead came in. Sales rep followed up. That's the first, that's going to be the first point in the sales reps. They're going to like, Oh, this person's already self-educated so much. My call is actually better than all those other ones I used to do. So anyway, it's it's setting outside a separate 10, 20% test and following that all the way through. Because then at the same time, you're also showing sales. Like, look at how better it can be. And if you can be more efficient with your resources too, and then start to think about what you do with those other people earlier than later. So yeah, it's got to be combined, obviously, hand in hand with sales to do that. Well, and to your point, you're showing them what the new world looks like and what it could look like moving forward. So you get them excited because these people have already educated themselves. They're much better quali- uh, quality conversations. Yep. It's a no-brainer for them. It's like, well, why wouldn't you do it like this? And I think oftentimes they don't realize all the things that you need to do as a marketing team to get to that point because, again, you're not just flipping a switch here. Yep. Yeah, exactly. So... Let's ask like a kind of a philosophical question that came in. Uh, you could take a crack at it and I'll take a crack at it too. For leads, is there a world where you can still gate content but measure yourself on pipeline and revenue? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I'm glad that came up because, you know, we get so focused on the way we do it that we can sometimes miss this. But absolutely. Um, but, you know, a lot of the same tenets have to be in place, which is, as a marketer, you're really thinking about the experience that you want the salesperson to have and the right people. Um, but yeah, you could be in an area where it's like, yes, actually, our best way of doing this is doing really good content, capturing a lead, and then either nurturing them through marketing or even handing them off to sales, but in a very light, kind of like touched way. And so I think that they're, you know, and then you can still get to, ideally, you're, you're, not, you're still not trying to like score them and stuff in marketing and then like hand them off when marketing thinks it's ready. So ideally you're still capturing a lead, but you're still waiting for a demo request. You know what I mean? So I think that's still the best world in that. It's like, okay, great. Gate your content, but don't like try and pretend to score somebody and like based on their behaviors, all of a sudden they got a score of 50 and you think they're ready for sales. Like, I just don't, I don't, I don't believe in that part. Let them still go to a demo request. Let them tell you when they're ready, but still nurture them, maybe have sales outreach to them. I think that's still okay. And I think you can definitely grow and still be revenue focused, you know, in that world. So as long as you are not handing over fake arbitrary MQLs, I'm using heavy, heavy air quotes here. There's a world where you can do that. Just like you said, I think for me, I'd only want to hand over people who are outright raising their hand and requesting a, a demo. But if your sales team is interested in, you know, let's say you're running campaigns and they want to see who's downloading some of the, the content that you have gated and there are accounts that are showing intent, I have no problem giving that to the sales teams and letting them pick how they want to prioritize their follow-up, their outreach, and they can go run outbound. There's still a time and a place for outbound. There always will be people who say outbound's dead are lying. I feel like they probably read too much on LinkedIn. There is a time and a place for it. (laughs) I just don't, I personally don't like whenever I'm, you know, I try not to download anything gated, but when I do, I can't stand when I'm entered to an automatic outreach or sales loft sequence with the assumption that, Hey, I want to talk to an SDR or an AE. Like that's just, it's not how we buy as people. 
Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I want to, you know, I want to self-educate myself and then have somebody there when I have a question. And, you know, kind of speaking to that MQL thing, you know, one of the things that you and I were talking about earlier is the way we like to think about it is not an MQL, but let's just let's just present sales with a list, like a prioritized list using the, the as much data as we have. And we just basically prioritize it. So we don't we don't try and pretend we know that like, oh, this cutoff point at 50 points, everybody above it, they're fucking buying. Everybody below it, they'll never buy. Like, we're not trying to do that. We're basically just saying, you know what? We're going to order it in the best way we, th- we think we can with all the data we have. And then, hey, sales, you just go in and you cherry pick where you think is best. If you want to go down to number 783 because you got a story to tell on that person, perfect. You take that one. You know what I mean? So I like to think about it that way a little bit more than like, hey, these are the MQLs. Don't talk to anybody but these people that we say is ready. Like, how do you really know? You know? You don't because it's a made up score. And I think uh, <laughs> for us, the, you know, call it an MQL, call, uh, <laughs> um, looking at the chat right now from <laughs> Justin Simon, our senior content marketing manager. It only took until episode two for Jason to show up. <laughs> so I promise there will be more of those for me too. Uh, but to bring it back on track, you know, are MQLs dead? Maybe. What's dead is defining whatever metric that you want to use in a silo as a marketing team. So if you're defining what MQLs are with your sales team, that's fine. Then there's a yeah. time and a place for MQLs. If you're using you know, the same definition, like that's all that matters at the end of the day. So we're not here to say MQLs are dead or anything really is dead. It's just all about the definitions that you're using and whether or not you came up with those definitions alone or your sales team and marketing is on the same page with how you're defining things. Yeah. You know, one of the best exercises I did was I sat with uh, the SDR team, not ours here. Um, I should do this too, but I sat with my SDR team. uh, I can't remember where it was actually um, for a whole day. And I listened to a bunch of different initial calls and that empathy that you get of like, I don't want to, I don't want to make a sales rep go through that again. You know what I mean? Like that kind of thing. If you're an empathetic person, you know, to begin with, but you know, it's, it's super valuable because you want to put yourself in those, in their shoes. You know, why wouldn't you, you're here to support them. So like, and you want them to be fans of yours. You want them to be fans of marketing, you know? And so, um, so like put yourself in their shoes and tell ask yourself, if I was on the other line of like the other end of this, would I want to follow up with this person? Would I want a cold call to this person that just gave me their email address for a piece of content? You know, probably not. So put yourself in their shoes. You know, I think it'll help you. So I'm going to tell a quick little story, but this would have been, uh, I was at a company called uptake and, uh, we had raised too much money, uh, and, uh, had to let some people go. And at that time they were, just telling people, you know, you could try and move into a sales role and stick it out here or, you know, you, there's the door. So I did a three month stint as an SDR, uh, which at the time I, I couldn't stand moving from marketing operations, uh, to being an SDR, but I would say without a doubt, those three months as an SDR helped me look at things differently and have an appreciation for what I would consider as one of the most difficult jobs in B2B SaaS. So just looking at things a little bit differently. And I think that's also why we have such a good relationship with our SDRs at metadata, because, you know, we don't want to be, you know, on their bad side and vice versa. And I think we have, I actually have a, a call with Ashley after this, just feedback on how the process is going, you know, every other week, like, what can we be changing? What is working? 
what needs to stop. And uh, it's a it's a good, healthy relationship to have with your marketing and your sales development team. Yeah. And, you know, like no matter how much we like to think we can all be business people like psychology and relationships come into it all the time, every day, all day. So like you're in, in your example, if you don't have a good relationship with your SDR team, guess what? Even if they don't mean to, they're not going to do as good of a job on your leads. They're just not. They, they don't even know it subconsciously. It's, it's happening, you know. And so you just really have to think about that. People can't overcome that on their own. You know what I mean? I can't just be like, oh, I'm not happy with Marks, but I'm still going to do the best job I possibly can. You know, and so there's you got to think about that, too. It's not just a business step. It's not just the numbers. You know, it's like it's your relationship with these people. And it has an effect on how they're going to help you or not help you. It's this is humans. We're humans. Right. To begin with. We're not business people first. And so that's how it works out. Yeah. And that's, I'd say the key to making all this work is, you know, there's the systems play, there's the processes, there's the measurement, there's all that stuff. That's in many ways, the easy part. It's the relationships that you need to make uh, and strengthen with all of the people involved in making the shift from leads to pipeline and revenue. Because if you don't have those relationships in place and really solid relationships, none of this is going to work and you're still going to be, you know, stuck on the hamster wheel trying to justify marketing's uh impact on pipeline and revenue yeah that's no fun that's not never a fun place to be <laughs> well we are at time here so this is another awesome episode of demand gen U. make sure to subscribe on whatever podcasting platform you're listening to and always hit us up on linkedin if you have any questions or topics that you want us to cover this is a two-way street and we want to make sure that it's just as helpful for everybody else so thanks we'll do it again soon <laughs> Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Demand Gen U. If you want to hear more, make sure to subscribe to get future episodes. You can also submit a specific topic you want us to talk about by DMing us on LinkedIn. If you like the show or want to share feedback, please leave us a review. It'll help us keep improving and get the word out to other marketers just like you. This podcast is brought to you by Metadata, the first demand generation platform that launches paid campaigns that self-optimize to revenue. If you're looking for a tool that makes it easier for you to build audiences, launch paid campaigns, and experiment at scale, you'll love Metadata. B2B marketers at Zoom, Okta, and ThoughtSpot use Metadata to automate the time-consuming parts of running paid campaigns so they can focus on the things that matter.